Hello and welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. My name's Darren and I'm here with Faith. Hi. Pastor Faith. And we will get to the sermon in just a little bit, but we wanted to make some time and space to talk about something special that we've been having on Sundays. And it's a new song that Pastor Faith, you and your husband, Josh, wrote, and we've shared it with our community. Tell us a little bit about it. What's the name of it? Yeah. And where did it come from? Yeah, so it's called We Need You. Um, and I, I'm going to root this in 1 Corinthians 2 when Paul says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Um, the, the first thing that was written for this song was the beginning of that bridge section that says, We don't need better plans. We don't need clever thoughts. We need your Spirit, O oh God. We don't want the wisdom of man. We want we want a display of God's power, which is really what the world needs. They don't need to see a show, or even in the area of worship, they don't need to hear good music. We need to see a display of the power of God. So it came from that heart cry. And then the beginning of the song kind of sets up this space where we invite Holy Spirit, we open our hearts, we clear out all the distractions, the things that get in the way and then just simply cry out for more of Him. And it's this this longing to be a, a space where the Spirit would rest mm-hmm. as a community. Yeah, I love that. That's such a the heart and core value of Garden Church. Exactly. Knowing that the Spirit is present, like He's welcome to the party and we get to celebrate. And I so appreciate the beauty and creativity that you've been cultivating, not only with worship, but just something that we can invite the rest of our community into. And, and it's so cool when, when uh, in the recording of this song, it's the first time that we shared it. And it's like people have been singing it for weeks. <laughs> and it was just such a cool thing to experience. And so we're so happy for those of you that have experienced that with us on a Sunday morning. And we want to see just more original songs being birthed from this place um, that you're talking about, just being saturated in the Holy Spirit. So we are welcoming you to stick around after the sermon where you can hear a live recording of the song, We Need You, and I hope it blesses your heart. Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. Well, it's, it's kind of fun to be with your family. I like the way you do family and the way you do church. I, I like that you uh, I like that you're for passion. And I like that you're for hope. Mostly I like Darren's hair. I covet, I covet his hair. I find myself in worship distracted by the locks of hair come my direction. I feel like the woman with the garment, you know, just reaching out to try to touch a strand of his hair in the hope that mine would grow. And, and, and I felt hair did grow during worship, but I think it was under my arms. And I, I just... Uh, he's a good friend. He's a wonderful teacher. I know you know that already. God has put in remarkable grace in his life for nations. And I would encourage you, serve well what God has stewarded and put in you as a family. Serve it in Darn and Alex and their boys because uh, what you have here is Long Beach is beautiful, but it's bigger than Long Beach. And uh, guys like Darn, they don't stay hidden. And he has no ambition in that. That's not 
him. He has no ambition, but God's going to take his voice to nations. He's going to take it to nations in speaking and in writing. And when that moment comes, I want to encourage you because you seem a little less restrained than the first service. I want to encourage you in that moment to release him into what God has from because you'll want to hold and you'll be afraid that it's changing. But you have to recognize that God has put uh, someone in you here who's for the nations. This is bigger than just here. The call of God is on you, Darren. You walk in servanthood. You walk in humility. You wash the feet of people that you meet. I love uh, who you share your story with. I met his neighbor earlier, his neighbor that he's met a couple of months ago who's in this church come vibrantly alive and uh, just from Darren being a good neighbor, right? It's beautiful to watch. So uh, we're, we're just delighted to be here. Uh, thrilled to be with you guys. Uh, we have just moved from Northern Ireland, and uh, we lived in a beautiful community there, right on the Atlantic Ocean. So we overlooked the hills of Donegal, which according to National Geographic, is the number one place on the planet to visit. I've been there, it's not that great. Don't believe everything <laughs> that National Geographic right, but it is stunning. It is a stunning place. And we live right in the ocean, and as you spin right around the corner, you come to the home of golf. So if you're familiar, if you're a golfer at all, we have more major winners per capita than any other town on the planet. Darren Clark and uh, Graham McDowell live in that town. And, and then there's a golf course, he's Rory McRoss. So you go around there, you hit some beautiful beaches, you keep going around the coast, and you get to Dunluce Castle. It's this 13th century castle. That's um, the inspiration. C.S. Lewis, as a boy, used to come in his holidays from Belfast. So he would come up to a town holiday and he would go see that castle. It became the inspiration for Cape Paravel. So if you're familiar with The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, you understand what that is. That castle is what inspired that imagining in his heart and mind. You continue around the coast and you get to the Bush Mills Whiskey Distillery. And you drop in just for a week, like a little while, not for long the Bushmills Whiskey Distillery, and then you continue around the coast, you come to the Jewel in the Crown, which is the Giant's Causeway. It's this geological phenomena of hexagonal rock formation and pillars that is absolutely breathtaking. People fly from all over the world to be around it. It is, in Celtic spirituality, a thin place, which means it's, they believe that it's a point where, a touch point where heaven touches earth. And so it was a stunning place to live. It was a stunning place to uh, raise our girls. We have two girls to do family together and to step into the story of God in our community. And what we did as a church there, like Darren, we weren't trying to build a great church. We are trying to bring life to the city. And so periodically we would do things like we've just done 10,000 hours where we give 10,000 hours of our time to our city because the story of God is for everything everywhere. And I love that I come here and I see that your announcements today are stepping into the work of God locally in your city. And I referenced earlier um, just what God is doing in the redemption of mental health in your city, that there is a story there that God is inviting you as a community into. You have brilliant minds. To keep up with this teaching, you have to have a brilliant mind. He's a skilled thinker. You have brilliant minds, but your mindset is more than for biblical exegesis. Your mindset is to restore mental health in your city, that God has given you the gift of a whole mind so that you can help those who have a broken mind. 
and there's a mental health crisis. I believe, I, I don't know your city, but I believe there's a mental health crisis in your city. I sense that by the Spirit of God. And he's saying to me, tell them to love me with all of their mind. Tell them I love the way they love me with all of their mind, but tell them I want them to share that with those in their community who are mentally ill and mentally broken. And if you begin to take steps into that, you begin to see God will give you the tools and the people that you need to make a difference in that area of your city. If you'll just move towards it, God will give you more than you need to bring life there. I shared over the course of this weekend, we had a lot of fun, uh, lots of different words for uh, your community, your church here. I get ready for an upsurge in compassion, but also I would say that you get ready for an evangelism explosion. Now, here's what I mean by that. Some of you are intimidated by the word evangelism. Don't be. It just means sharing your story. Everybody's an evangelist. You might as well be an evangelist for Jesus than Vogue magazine, right? Or uh, what is it called? Living rooms, furniture store. Or you might, as well, you might as well have a story worth sharing rather than something you have to sell. Right? And everyone here is an evangelist. Everyone around here is an I can't pass a freeway without being evangelized. Right? Gentlemen's bars and all sorts of people evangelizing. So don't be afraid of your story. And what I love about Long Beach, I'll come back in a moment. What I love about Long Beach is you won't allow anyone to tell you your story. Right? You're like, we are quirky. We write our own story. We're individual. We're unique. Uh, we kind of Orange County, the Orange Curtain, and all that stuff, right? This is Long Beach. I like all that. I like that um, feistiness. Uh, but God has put, God's put a grace in your community, and particularly, Darna, I would love for you guys to have a look at this, see how it works for you. But see this neighborhood around here? This neighborhood right around the school? There are hundreds of people here desperately longing for Jesus. I don't just mean curious about them. I mean desperately longing for Jesus. And the power of God's already resting in their homes. And if you'll simply show up at their doors, you're like, but that doesn't work. Trust me, people are longing for Jesus. We've seen six and a half thousand in a couple of years at home come to faith. People are desperate for Jesus. They're desperate for a new narrative. They're tired of what they're seeing in the media. They're tired of what they're seeing in the culture. They're longing for hope. They're secretly longing, desperately hoping that someone would show up with a different story. And around, right around this community right now, literally, there are hundreds of people ready to come to faith. Ray walks into a department store in our town. I won't tell that story. I just have so many stories where um, my friend, my friend is in, in the streets one day. He's leading people to Jesus. His wife had said to him, or his kid had said to him in the morning, today, Daddy, you're going to lead 10 people to Jesus. He's like, 10 people? I've, I've only ever led a couple of people to Jesus in a day. He gets to lunchtime. He's led three people to Jesus. He's meeting his wife for lunch, and he's wondering how he's going to talk to his daughter when he gets back, because he knows there's not a mission of him leading 10 people to Jesus. And so he's saying to his wife, and she's trying to encourage him like a good wife and saying, oh, don't worry, it's just a kid. What do they know, right? They're just wanting the best for you. Well, it gets to 3.30 that day. He looks across. He sees seven young guys, seven kids, about 14, 15 years of age. He's not brilliant at math, but he realizes he's led three people to Jesus, and there's a group of seven. He doesn't have long before it's home time. He goes over to him. This is his line. God told me today I would lead 10 people to Jesus. Today I've only led three. You're my other seven. And every one of them gets on their knees in the middle of the street and give their life to Christ. People are ready for Jesus. They don't believe, gosh, let me, help me, Jesus. Uh, there's a narrative of culture goes across your screen 
every day. Right? Breaking news, CNN, Fox News, whatever it is, just goes across the screen. There's another narrative that cuts across that narrative, and it's a narrative of hope. And there's never been a better time to be a people of hope. There's never been a better time to be brokers of a different story. Never been a better time to be people who introduce God's good future. Never been a better time to be the church. Never been a better time to be the light of the world. The thing about the light of the world is that it never complains about the darkness. Anytime you hear a Christian complain about culture, you know they've forgotten who they are. Because light never complains about darkness. It just walks in. It just walks in. Right, to say, oh, it's awful dark over there. It just goes over there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just goes over. We're going to talk about culture in a moment. I'm going to get to what I want to say. Uh, but let me help you using your own stories and your own language. Uh, frozen. <laughs> frozen. Yeah. You know in Frozen, there's little Olaf. He's my favorite character in the movie. And, uh, what's his dream? Summer. His dream is summer, right? It's just the problem. What's the problem? It's a snowman. That, that's not going to work for you, Olaf, right? And so at the end of the movie, what does he get? He gets his own cloud, his own climate, so that wherever he goes, it's, he's always under that climate. And everywhere he goes, he's operating under that cloud. In the same way, as you move towards culture, don't be afraid that what's there will get on you. Recognize God's anointing is with you. His authority is with you to change culture. And what's on you gets on them. What I'm saying is you're the contaminator. You're the contaminator. You're the one who makes the difference. So many stories in that. And not enough time. I want to talk to you today. Um, so is it okay if I start my talk? Yes. Would that be okay? I want to talk to you today on living an empowered life. You guys are in the middle of a series on what's important to this family and what's cultural values for you as a church. And you're now looking at learning to live an empowered life. And I love that recently you've done that in the way that you've become a church distributed into houses. And that's wonderful. You're on the right track, baby. That's good, right? Uh, but I want to say to you that it's more than houses, it's workplaces. That God wants every place to be a place of his presence. I love that you've discovered now that your houses, he shows up there. Right? But it's our workplaces that he's really after. And where the Holy Spirit longs to empower us is where we spend most of our time. Right? I don't want the Holy Spirit to come on me in my spare time. I want him on me my whole life. Amen? Yeah. Eight of us want that. That's wonderful. <laughs> okay, turn with me in the Bible. We, we're going to go quickly here. Uh, Romans chapter 12. My friend sat with me. <clears throat> he was in a Presbyterian church. The church there were trying to get him to become the youth leader, youth pastor. He was in turmoil because he was a good Christian and churches are brilliant at doing guilt. And they were trying to leverage guilt on him to get him to stop doing what he was doing so he would become the, the youth pastor. And what are you going to do, right? Uh, when churches say things like, Susie will grow up to be a prostitute unless you're her youth leader, uh, you kind of feel a little guilt in that, right? 
And so they were trying to get him to become the youth pastor. The problem was he was a filmmaker. He actually made kids TV programs, and he just didn't have a lot of time in the week. So he met with me, and he was saying, Alan, what do I do? And I say, I'm a pastor. I'm giving you legal permission that do not become youth leader in this church. Not because it's not a great church, because that's not your design. And so we began chatting, and I'd meet with him over a period of months, and then he, he got to the point where he was ready to say no to the church. And he said, I... I told him, I'm never going to do it. And I said, that's the best thing you've ever done. He goes on to make his program. His program is distributed in 130 nations. He's reaching way more kids than he ever could have reached. Now, there's nothing wrong with being a youth pastor. It's only wrong when you're called to be a filmmaker. Right? And God is calling his church to engage with culture in these days. So that's what we're going to look at together. Romans 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is your holy and pleasing to God. This is your holy, true, and proper worship. Or as another version says, this is your spiritual act of worship. This is the thing that brings pleasure to God. When we take our ordinary everyday lives. I love how Eugene Peterson phrases this in the message. He says, take your everyday ordinary life, your eating, sleeping, going to work life, and present it before God as an offering. Take that thing that you do every day that doesn't really feel filled with divine presence, that doesn't really feel empowered with the Holy Spirit, that thing that you don't really feel the glory of God. How many of you who don't work in a church, when you show up at work in the morning, there's a worship band playing in the background? <laughs> Right? Very, very few of you. Right? Very few of you. Take that place that somehow feels disconnected from the story. He says, take that place. You're eating, sleeping, going to work, life, and live empowered there. Present it before God as an offering. Now, some people get how that works. There are people in culture who have learned that God is so pleased when they do their job well, who have learned that they were alive for a particular purpose. Uh, it's usually athletes. Athletes, when they do their job well, they have a sense that it's connected to God. So you have a guy, Tim Tebow, Tim Tebow, football player, when he would make the pass for the touchdown, that's right, isn't it? Uh, he would get on his knee, wouldn't he? Or at the end of the game, he'd get on his knee, and he might point up to heaven, and he's saying in that moment, God, you created me to do this with my days. I'm so thankful that I get to use my skill for your story and for your glory. Athletes kind of get that. So you have football here. In, in Europe, we have football. It's, it's the real football. It's played with feet, not with hands. Um, you call it soccer, but it's... It's football, right? And there, when they score a goal with their head or whatever, uh, sometimes what they do is they run and they strip off their tops, revealing these perfectly formed abs. It's a glorious moment for the cameras. And if they're Christian footballers, quite often what they would do is they'll strip off their top and they'll have another t-shirt underneath it which will say, all glory to God or Jesus is Lord or something like that. And what they're saying in that moment, and they'll point up like this. And what they're saying in that moment is, God, you created me to do this and I love it when I feel your pleasure when I do my job well. Thank you for your grace. Now, here's what I want you to imagine. Imagine you're a dentist. Try doing that if you're a dentist, right? You've, <laughs> you've drilled the perfect filling. Right? 
the hall. Just take the drill out the mouth while the patient's in the chair like this. And then just run around the surgery. Just run around because your dentistry is filled with the glory and the story of God. As much as five worship songs, some amazing teaching, compassionate gifts, dentistry was given by the Holy Spirit. And when dentists operate under the influence of the Holy Spirit, they bring life to the community. And good teeth are, is good news. Yeah, there's a dentist slogan for you. He's like, that's my marketing dream, good teeth. When can he come again? I got my last slogan from him. And say you're not a dentist. Let's say you're an accountant, right? It's Wednesday morning. You nail the spreadsheet. You're in your happy zone. All the numbers are aligned. Right? Here's what I want you to do. Just gently push back from your desk. Take the spreadsheet. And if you're an accountant, you probably don't have perfectly formed abs. But just begin... <laughs> slowly to hold up your work and that spreadsheet to the glory of God and take that 15 minutes to walk around your desk <laughs> and recognize that when you do accountancy well, God is glorified, that your ordinary everyday life matters to Him. Let's say you're a parent and you're changing a diaper. And it's the number two. <laughs> Let's say you're a parent of a boy and you're changing a diaper and it's the number two. And you change that diaper, you get it done, and success is that a number one didn't come out and hit you while you were changing the number two. Is this your world? Yes. You allowed to say this sort of thing in church? Yeah. Success is the number one didn't catch me in the eye while I changed number two. You take up that diaper. <laughs> right? Hey, let me tell you about one of my favorite worship songs. The song goes, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Your love makes me sing. Your love is amazing. You know that song? Do you want to tell you how it was written? My friend Brian, Brent and my two friends, Brent and Brian, Brian Dirksen. Brian has six kids. He's changing one of the kids' diapers. Brenton's like, Brian, I've been working on this song. Your love is amazing, steady and unchanging. He begins to play it to Brian. Brian finishes the nappy, does the perfect job, gets the nappy on. And Brenton says to him, have you got any words for it? And Brian goes, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. That's how that song was written. Yes. That's how that song was written. The glory of God. And churches all over the world, they don't realize they're singing about a nappy, a diaper change, right? They're like, that's where it was born. The ordinariness of life, the story of God filling it, and bringing glory, and uh, somehow we've separated God's glory from the ordinary. And we've done that because quite often we don't know how to engage the culture around us. We don't know how to do faith in an ordinary way, so we end up weird. Turn to your neighbor and say, I think he's talking about you now. Don't. <laughs> they don't do that here, clearly. We do that in Ireland. And we say, hey, don't be weird. We say, turn to your neighbor and tell him, I think he's talking about you. 
And an ordinary gets severed from glory. And, and the reason for that is we don't know how to engage with culture. And for too long, the church was intimidated by culture. We didn't know how to step into the story. And so we take this next verse where Paul says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. And we're like, don't conform to the world. And for years, what we did as church then is we just practiced cultural avoidance. We were so afraid of becoming contaminated, so afraid of being conformed, that we didn't actually engage culture in any meaningful way. And we created this Christian subculture, this ghetto of culture that was abandoned and divorced from real culture. God calls us to alter the story of nations, to bless the nations, and here we are, or here we were, creating our little Christian subcultures. And eventually we realized, you know, we're just afraid of being contaminated. We're just afraid that somehow what's in the culture will spill into the church. And I get that. There's lots of reasons uh, for that fear. But I, I want you to know that your story is more powerful than that. That your God is more powerful than that. That you are a creative force in the community and you are a contaminator in the community. I have a friend at home, he gets this. His name is Michael. Michael's a young boy. Uh, one day he's making a presentation in English and it's on friendship. And he's speaking about friendship and he begins to think, uh, you've got to know at home our kids lead people to Jesus very quickly. We have an 11 year old who wakes up in January, she texts her friend, 11 years old, Saturday morning, wakens up, texts her friend, say, let's go lead people to Jesus today. So that's what they do. They go out that day, they lead 23 people to Jesus and come home. It's normal for them to see people come to faith. So it's normal for Michael to do that. He's in school and he's, he's uh, presenting on friendship. He's figuring out, okay, what does it look like? And he thinks, what would I do if I were in church right now? And he says, well, I would, he thinks to himself, I would tell him about my best friend, Jesus. And so that's what he does right there in his school. He begins to say, now I want to tell you about my best friend, Jesus. He begins to tell his class about that. And then he thinks, okay, what would I do now if I was in church? And he thinks, well, now I would ask them if they want to know my best friend, Jesus. So right there in public school, right there in school, he says, hey, if there's anyone here who'd like my best friend, Jesus, to be your best friend too, why don't you just raise your hand and six hands go up in the class. And he's thinking, oh, they probably didn't get it. So he says, I'll do it a second time. He does it a second time. Eleven hands go up in class, including the teacher. It's <coughs> an 11-year-old boy. Changing culture, knowing that what's on him. Let me just cut across something because I sense it in the room. And I'm just going to be me. You've believed the narrative in your country that your schools are hard to reach. It's not true. It's not true. It's never been true. It will never be true. Every person was designed with a desire for Jesus. Everybody wants Jesus. Everybody wants Jesus. And skills are just radically open to the kingdom. Radically open to the kingdom. We had moments in our, our time at home where we saw whole skills come to faith. But anyway, my point was that Michael is the contaminator. He's the one bringing life to the culture in that moment. He's the one changing the story. And so we never have to worry, you know, do we have enough? We never have to be intimidated. Some of the church moved from being intimidated by culture and they tried to impress the culture. Like, like I'm, there's some churches, honestly, I'm, I'm wondering when they're going to bring out the trapeze artist to start the service. You know, it's like Cirque du Soleil or something. I, I, we're, we're, trying, we're, trying to, we're trying to bring life to the city through excellence. And the city is never drawn by excellence. It's always drawn by brokenness. We always have this treasure in jars of clay. 
that. And we, what we do is, we, what we did from cultures, we took in their music and we took in their style. And really what we were saying is, we're kind of trendy. We're trendy and we're not at all backward. I know you think we're stuck in the 50s, but we're really not. We're actually up to date and we're modern and all that. And you would like us because we're kind of like you. And it's just rampant insecurity manifesting as a pursuit of cultural relevance. Because we don't believe that what we have is enough. We don't believe that it's good enough. And so we, we begin this journey of cultural relevance and uh, we plug in our guitars and we do all that. And there's nothing wrong with that. In some level, there's nothing wrong with that. Except we weren't called to be culturally relevant. We're called to change culture. We're called to introduce the kingdom of God, which is a whole other culture. And you can't change culture by becoming the culture. When you become the culture, you have nothing to offer the culture. You can only repeat to it its own story. And what we don't realize often is that the people creating the story are tired of that story. They're drowning in their own narrative and they're just longing for some narrative of hope to appear on the horizon. And the church is so busy imitating it that we can't lead it. And God's call is don't conform any longer to the culture around us. Introduce the culture of the kingdom that is coming. And so we begin to do that. We begin to look for ways of doing that. And what that looks like sometimes is a recognition that God has graced us for particular areas of culture. I want to give you just a couple and then uh, we're going to pray. But one of the areas of culture that, that God has graced us for is education. Is education. We're going to see the days are coming when we're going to see an ordination of the ordinary. For too long, church gatherings have been, uh, you know, we pray for people and projects. We pray for, we ordain pastors and leaders and elders and deacons and all that. I'm longing to go into church. We do it at home, but I'm longing to go into other church and see the day we're ordaining hairdressers. So hairdressers talk to more people than just about anyone else. If you're going to ordain anyone, ordain hairdressers and Uber drivers. Right. I'm longing for the day when we ordain hairdressers and cleaners and lawyers and engineers and architects and filmmakers and sculptors and poets and dancers and artists where we realize that ordination is not for the church, it's from the church, for the culture to bring hope into every area. Jesus said, go into all nations and immerse them in who I am. Use your authority to supply their destiny. Don't lock it away in a building. Bring life to the community around you. And there's a day coming when we do ordain all of those kind of folks. We ordain the poets and the sculptors and all of those professions in recognition that that's where the kingdom breaks out, where you are every day. My friend Ray was shopping one day. It's a Saturday morning. She just dropped a friend off at the airport. Just imagine it's Long Beach. She went into a local department store to pick up a garment. She gets to, there's nobody there. She gets to the cashier. And uh, she's trying to pay for her, her garment. She's from Brazil. And the cashier, we don't have real any ethnic diversity in Northern Ireland. So someone from Brazil really stands up. And uh, the cashier says, Where, where's that accent? Where are you from? And Ray says, I'm from Brazil. And the cashier says, well, what are you doing here? And she says, well, I'm here. I'm a Christian. I'm here telling people about Jesus. Do you know Jesus? And the cashier says, no, I don't know Jesus. And so Ray tells the cashier all about Jesus. And she says, would you like to know Jesus? And the cashier says, yeah, I really would. And so Ray starts to pray for her, and the cashier starts crying and crying and crying. And so Ray leads her to Jesus, prays for her there, and the cashier says to her, I am so sorry. I'm not in any fit state to process your order. Do you mind if I call a colleague? 
So she calls a colleague over. She leaves, the colleague comes over, and the colleague asks, what happened? Right? <laughs> what did you say to my colleague that they're leaving in tears, right? That's what she's thinking. And she says, what happened? And Ray says, well, she asked me where I was from. I told her, she asked me what I was doing here. And I told her, I'm here to tell people about Jesus. Do you know Jesus? <laughs> and the cashier says, no, I don't know Jesus. And, and, and Ray says, well, you know, uh, tells her about Jesus. Says, would you like to know Jesus? And the girl says, I'm not sure. And, and at that moment, Ray has a picture. And she says, well, I see you. You're struggling for peace in your life. And I see you surrounded by self-help books. And God wants you to know that that's not going to be able to help you. But he is your helper and your strength. And he wants to enter your life and do life with you. Do you want to know Jesus? And now she's like, yes, I would like to know Jesus. And so she prays for her. And she's crying. Like she's crying. And by now, there are people in the store behind Ray in the queue, and they're looking at her thinking, what on earth are you doing to these cashiers? <laughs> She's crying, crying. She says, I am so sorry. I am not able to process your order. Would you mind if I go and get cleaned up? And she calls a third colleague. The third colleague comes over, and she says, of course she does. What happened? Ray tells her what happened, and she says, uh, and by now Ray's laughing because she realized God's moving in the store. And she's laughing. She said, well, she asked me if I was a Christian. I told her. Uh, she asked me what I'm doing here. I told her I was a Christian. I told her I'm here to tell people about Jesus. And do you know Jesus? And the girl says no. And Ray begins chatting to her. And then Ray says, um, do you have pain in your back? And the girl says, I do. And Ray prays for her and her back gets healed. And Ray said, the whole time I'm praying for her, Alan, I was just praying, oh, please don't cry, please don't cry, please don't cry. <laughs> and the girl gives her life to Christ, scans the garment in, Ray pays for it, and leaves the store. Because apparently the kingdom of God didn't know it was a department store. God's longing to show up in places like that in our everyday ordinary workplaces and we're seeing culture beginning to shift everywhere's open and at home we were saying about this ordination thing and I'm almost there we're saying about this ordination thing and that I was saying we're going to ordain filmmakers you've got to realize we were in a cultural backwater we're in Northern Ireland and in the smallest part of the smallest country and I began to say to our church we're ordaining filmmakers so you guys uh, we need to start praying in the film industry because otherwise you're going to be unemployed it's just smart, isn't it? There's no point in raising up filmmakers and then them all leaving our community. I want them in our community. So we began to say, film industry's coming. We uh, declared that. And after a couple of years, took two years, but after a couple of years, they made the first film in our community. It was called Dracula. Uh, I'm not going to lie. It wasn't the movie I was hoping for. Right. I was wanting something on the blood of Jesus. It's a little darker in tone than I was hoping. Um, but then a couple of years after that, they, they started making all different things. A couple of years after that, just outside a community, they started working on a program called Game of Thrones. It is the most downloaded TV program in history. And it happens just outside our community. And so I was really pleased and slightly wondering, God, I really felt you were going to do this in our community. And then two years ago, here's what he did. Our local council decided to change the region, the boundaries of our region. So they did two things. Firstly, 
they renamed the council and they named it after our church. They called it Causeway Coast and Glens Council. And the name of our church was Causeway Coast Vineyards. They renamed the council. Isn't that cool? Talk about changing your city. And then the second thing they did is they brought Game of Thrones into our boundaries. And God did what God said he was going to do. In the middle of nowhere, changing culture, right? putting our little time. He's just good at that. He does it in filmmaking. They already do the education thing in this service. No, I've said it so many times I can't remember where I am. He's doing it in filmmaking, but he's doing it in education. I referenced earlier, we've seen God move in schools in incredible ways, but my favorite way he moves in schools is this, that uh, it's teachers who show up every day. It's teachers who put their lives on the line every day to transform a generation, who fight their way through traffic and stress to impart hope in slightly overcrowded schools, or sometimes way overcrowded schools. The teachers, the Greek word for teachers is kingdom ninjas. <laughs> It's not really, <laughs> but it should be. Because they're phenomenal at introducing the kingdom of God into the life of a generation. And it's what they do every day in their ordinary life. And sometimes in churches, I gather you don't do it here, but sometimes I'm in churches and they bring in their children's ministers, like the people who work with the kids, the volunteers, and they applaud them. And really what they're saying is, thank you for doing the job no one else wanted to do. We applaud it. I think that's okay, that's good, we should do that, but for every one time you applaud the children's workers and give them gifts, for every one time you do that, there should be 10 times where you gather teachers who serve the community, because otherwise the subtle message is this, that God is really interested in religious education for one hour a week, but the 40 hours a week that you give sowing into the life of a destiny of a generation, God's not that interested in that. If it's connected to church, he loves it and he applauds it, but if it's beyond the church, he doesn't even notice it. Can I tell you, friends, those days are gone. God is involved in all of culture. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. It's spilling out into culture. It's spilling out into all things. And what we'll begin to see is areas of God's blessing just popping up all over the city. Let me give you three right now, right over your city. Mental health, I've mentioned. Homelessness. Watch how the Lord begins to move. If you're dry in your spiritual life right now, no better place to go than to look into the eyes of a homeless person. Because Jesus said, in as much as you did it for the least of these, you did it to me. If you want to meet with him, meet with them. That'll refresh you more than like an exposition from Scripture. There's a grace of God on your city to engage the homeless and to do a good job creating family there. Uh, talked about that compassion. Just the grace of God on your house for compassion. You're about to come into an explosion of compassion in this church. I think it's going to rock your world. And for some of you, you're not going to like it. Because it's messy. But God doesn't just want to visit your church. God wants us to live an empowered life. Us actually in our community bringing life and hope. Can I be at home, really at home for this last minute? Darn, are you sure? Yeah, otherwise we might as well go play golf on a Sunday. Right? If we're not gonna be the church, if we're not gonna bring life, let's get another hobby for, another, for an hour and a half on a Sunday. Let's do something else for an hour and a half. 
But if we're going to put our lives into this, let's bring life to this beautiful city called Long Beach. It deserves the best. It deserves a new story. It deserves a fresh hope. You, sir, are carrying hope for this city. You're carrying the grace of God on your life. You're carrying imaginative abilities. God's friendship is over your life. There's grace on you to rewrite stories and to introduce hope. I don't know what you do, but I see you um, living slightly stretched, but God's grace all over it. God just, like enlarging your heart in this season for people around you. And you see the favor of God coming on your life in fresh ways. What do you do? I fell after the mark. Wow. Well, you really are about to get wrecked. <laughs> I see the Lord saying, give one to the speaker. Give, I don't know if that means anything to you at all. I just thrown it out there like, Thank you, Lord. You've heard my prayer today. Hey, I, I know something good that's good for the comedian is that um, from Seattle, Washington, um, we sell mota, marijuana. You do? We, we find that it's very spiritual. And, yeah. and we don't find anything wrong with it. So, Man, so, uh, that's a shift. <laughs> that's a shift. Catherine, can you, can you give me... Your wallet for a second. Okay, we're going to minister together, uh, and very different to we did the first service. If you want this talk in a different form, uh, you should check it out from the first service. Am I about to give even more of your birthday money? I will repay you. I like it. Okay. Let me show you how this works. This is how it works on bringing life to the city. Right? I have $20. Who needs $20? Yeah, come get it, man. You need $20? Yeah. Okay, would you take it to him? Okay, who has $20? Anyone have twenty dollars that you're gonna to give to me? Hey, isn't it funny? Did, did you notice this? I just talked about compassion that was gonna get real messy. See how Jesus just did it immediately to see how we would react? I had just literally said it's compassion, it's gonna get messy, it's gonna mess up your services, but you might as well go play golf otherwise, and it all kicks off. He's just giving you a glimpse. He's saying, are you ready? I'm going to bring more and more people like that who might even fight beside you, who certainly won't give up their seat for you. Right, but who's 20 quid, $20? Yeah, just bring it if you have it. I want to show you this. We're almost there. Thank you. Okay, I have $20. Who needs $20? Our friend is gone. Who else? Yeah, come get it. Thank you. Yeah, come get it. Come get it. It's $40. Who has $20? Thank you. Who needs $20?
$18. Who needs $18? $38. Well, you just take it. Come here. Come here. Come here. Thirty-eight. Twenty dollars. Who needs twenty dollars? You do, don't you? Let's make it fifty-eight. Come on. Come on. Hold it there. Hold it there. Look at the clock. Look at the clock. Twelve fifty-eight. How many dollars? Fifty-eight. Isaiah fifty-eight. If you will share your bread with the hungry, then your righteousness will break forth. And God will begin to rebuild the city all around you. And it's as easy as taking what's in your hand and giving it away. away. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org. Space for your presence to dwell and to move.